Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Outcast broadcast podcast. This is our first ever episode. I'm Scully, and I'm here with my husband. The Count, or as I call myself, Count Calderon, which I'll be saying short for The Count, because I want to be cool like that. <laughs> he has very many different names. Yes, I'm a man of many names. <laughs> um, so if sometimes I say Cisco, I apologize. Okay, yeah. He's The Count. It's my true name. No, his true name is my real name. <laughs> but anyway, um, <clears throat> so uh, we're going to have three segments in here. We're going to be having True Crime supernatural and then movie review and our episode today is going to be pertaining to charles manson skinwalkers and once upon a time in hollywood um generally this is the breakdown because i'm a little true uh true crime obsessed well we both are but that's your that's more your field it's where more I'm more, my knowledge yeah why more of the supernatural side and then we both really enjoy movies yes so um, we're always at the movies. Yes. <laughs> we have the AMC stubs. Yeah, we, whatever we literally premiere watch shit that is about three times, literally three times a week. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We usually we try. We have a pretty broad spectrum of what we like. So you're probably going to see movies here of every kind. Um, yeah. You will find that we're fans of horror movies, though, and oh. science fiction and true crime mm-hmm. movies. Absolutely. Very much so. So yeah. anyway, uh, let us begin. This is True Crime audio file, um, Michelle intro. Okay. One zero zero five zero Cielo Drive, better known as the estate that Roman Polanski and his new wife Sharon Tate were renting in the Hollywood Hills in August of nineteen sixty nine. The summer of love, as it would be later called, was winding down. However, the book into it would be a grisly murder scene and the discovery of a cult-like fringe of people. On August 9th, Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Krenwinkel descended upon Cielo Drive and gruesomely murdered Stephen Parent, Wojciech Frakowski, Abigail Folger, heiress to the Folger Coffee Fortune, Jay Sebring, Sharon Tate, while also terminating her eight-and-a-half-month pregnancy. The crime sent immediate outrage and fear as the term helter-skelter a phrase written in blood on the La Bianca murder scene, which took place the next day, was on everyone's lips and printed on every newspaper. However, what began to unfold was that these murderers had not acted alone, and some say had not even acted with their own minds as a shadowy figure of Charles Manson and his Manson family began to manifest itself as the center of these senseless and barbaric actions. All right. Well, Charles Manson... um... For anybody that lives out in Southern California like we do, um, we're not, I can't really say that anybody knows where Fontana is. I mean, Inland Empire. Yeah, I guess if you want to call it the Greater Inland Empire area, which is like 60-ish miles, right? Uh, just to let you guys know, I'm from Michigan. I have no idea how miles work in California. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I'm going to say about 60 miles east of L.A., but I mean, we like to always say that we're like part of the L.A. area, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this murder was what shaped a lot of um California lot of, culture. Yeah, California culture, it's still pretty prevalent today. Um you I, know. I would say that most people think Charles Manson when they hear California. 
Well, if they're into serial killers, <laughs> if they're like us, if you're like us, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should probably have like a like a guess who state, like guess which serial killers associated with that state. That'd Jeffrey be Dahmer. Game. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. What? Oh man, I, I Wisconsin. Suck. Oh, see, you already win because I was like, <laughs> I was like, yes, Jeffrey Dahmer, Montana. <laughs> I'm thinking Ted Bundy, Montana. You know he was California too, though. But no, 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 no. Wow, I'm see, I suck it. I already lose this game because okay. I know the sophomore murders or the not the sophomore murders. Um, uh, the opposite of fraternity sorority murders. Yes, was in good old Florida. Ah, uh, everything shitty happens in Florida. Yeah, Florida man, Florida man. Ted Bundy was a Florida guy. Um, but yeah, back to Charles Manson. Um, you know, I have to say that I think he's the only person listed as his occupation being a singer, songwriter, slash cult leader. <laughs> cult leader. <laughs> like, but would you consider it a cult? I mean, you have this you have this person who is just very fucking full of themselves that I mean, they manipulated a whole mass of people. Like Jim Jones. This guy created his own entire city. Well, I know that a lot of when you get into it, they say that Charles Manson did a lot of um, things that tried to master and manipulate. He obviously went for people um, that were like runaways. A lot of them, not all of them, but probably um, the majority of them. Yeah, probably the majority of them. Um, you know, they were out at the Spectre Ranch. Uh, Spawn Ranch. Spawn Ranch. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So that was a pretty that was still located in the Hollywood Hills, but that was pretty desolate, kind of isolated. Right. Yeah, I mean, fun fact, you can probably, you can actually still visit that place today. I know a lot of people on Instagram still take pictures there. <laughs> Instagram. Instagram moments. Doing it for the gram. Hashtag Manson family. Hashtag feet. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, you know, it's just kind of like one of those, um, you know, so really his upbringing wasn't that great, obviously. His mom, I believe, was like a prostitute. Uh, yes, I think she, yes, she was a prostitute. Yeah, so um, he was born in Cincinnati in 1934, which is crazy because you don't think of him being that old when these when these murders happened, but he was about like 35. You know, I've, I always saw Charles as more of like an entity more than a human. I just feel like he kind of just was alive for way too long. Well, he did die like in what, 2019? 2017. 2017, mm -hmm. yeah. So he was he was alive for a good old long time. And I mean, he never really was repentant. He always would tell the parole board that if he got out, he would just do it again. So, oh, I'm convinced this guy would have committed way more murder. You know, I think one thing that I struggle to call Charles Manson himself is a serial killer. Because I, I think a lot of people think Charles Manson is a serial killer himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think only two murders were actually documented that were of his hand. Well, I know if we look at the timeline um, after, so before, right before the murders, the Sharon Tate murder and all that kind of stuff, he actually tried to show them what a murder was and I guess tried to commit one himself. Uh, that's yes, what, yes, I do remember. So it was kind of weird, but like there was a whole bunch of things that went wrong with that. So it kind of sounds like these, I mean, obviously back in those days, we didn't have security camera systems like we do now. Um, um, you know, crime was just kind of easier to commit in those days. I mean, back then you could, gotten, you could get away with 
anything. Yeah, really. almost. Yeah, because there was surveillance was just kind of blossoming, and even then, you know, we didn't have anything. Like there was no internet, no anything. Um, it so I do I do kind of struggle to call him a serial killer, and I think that's what the kind of the basis of this is for us. It's just was should Charles Manson even be up there with like Ted Bundy and um, you know like uh, oh my God I'm totally Gacy yeah you know Dahmer and that mm-hmm. kind of thing these people who did gruesome gruesome murders and who were just pieces of crap in general. Um, to where Manson, he 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 definitely put the, the idea in in the head of these young ones. Yeah. But I don't feel... At what point do you become accountable for your own actions? You know? Yeah. I think, you know, one thing that I very, very strongly believe in is if somebody is telling you that you should probably do these things, it's up to you to actually do them. So I don't know how, I don't know if Charles maybe did plant this idea in the minds of, you know, um, um, crap. of uh, like Susan and Patricia and Tex, actually. I don't know if he had planted the idea or if these kids were already, already capable of doing something like this and he just kind of gave them a little push. Yeah, you know. it is strange because I do think, I mean, one thing he's definitely, he's guilty of pushing them in a direction. Oh, of course. You know, and when you have, I mean, if you're looking at him, they call themselves a family. And if he's the father, then just like any other father or mother, when your kids do something wrong, the blame the blame is always on the parents. Well, yeah, you're the one that's supposed to be, you know, taking care of them. Yeah. And, you know, like, just like for, just for like, you know, I'm not trying to bring up something completely different, but like mass shooters. Yeah. The first pe- the first thing that people blame is where the were the parents. parents? Yeah. Yeah. Which side note, if you have never seen Let's Talk About Kevin, phenomenal movie, you should probably watch that. It it gives you a very good insight look into what a parent actually goes through when something like this happens that their children, you know, have gone, you know, have done like this immediate like just terrible action, you yeah. know. Um, yes, let's talk about Kevin, one of the greatest, I, I believe, a true crime movie that yeah, I've that, seen. That is it. That I remember that is interesting. So going, well, just, you know, obviously this, I mean, Charles Manson is probably not going to win any Father of the Year awards. Um, uh, going back to that. Probably in hell. Because his, he, his primary goal was Helter Skelter. Yes. Which he got from a Beatles song. A Beatles song, which was actually inspired by a um i believe it's like a ride or some sort of it it looks like a lighthouse and it has a spiral like staircase going around it and you're supposed to like you get these burlap sacks and you ride on top of it and you kind of slide down um maybe i'm wrong but it's you know just children's ride that's that's what the beatles and which is what's inspired by the beatles yeah so how you get you know, race war from a song about a children's ride in the UK is it shows. I think you know. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Charles Manson was... was probably not the best hinged person. No, <laughs> mental health right there. There was some yeah. bad mental health. Right if that's there. a that's evocation. If this whole thing is advocation for mental health, then I don't know what is. It's like you know, let's not be codependent. Let's not have a cult leader. Yeah, you know, <laughs> for no. one, uh, let's probably not take drugs. That that many drugs. I'm not I'm not anti drugs at all at this point. I but mean, um, 
the summer of uh, well just the 60s in general going into the 70s was just all about drugs like you know free mind freeing your soul yeah he definitely hijacked that movement uh, yeah it kind of pisses me off in a way because yeah the 60s were all about love summer of love man even like um in woodstock there was literally only one person died but it was only because they got smashed by a bus like other than that you have a perfect scene there where you can probably create an atrocious amount of atrociousness <laughs> and nothing happened it was just love and and drugs well you know that's kind of crazy because when you think about it i bet because let's see how many people with sharon tate jc bring uh i mean so like we'll say like what like eight people um all? so stephen parent uh wojcik Frakowski, abigail folger jay sabring and sharon tate so and sharon tate's baby if you if you count that if you want to count that yeah and then the labianca murders which was two more people which was two more which happened immediately the next day on august 10th so that's about eight people and you know what i'm willing to bet kind of just comparing the manson family murders to woodstock i'm willing to bet now at let's say coachella or like any of the raves that happened there's probably more deaths than what charles manson charles manson's or the, the manson family did yeah and that's kind of crazy when you think about it. You know, looking at that day and age where, like, where Woodstock was supposed to be this, like, quintessential, like, summer of love, like, completely, like, craziness going on. Mm-hmm. But yet only one person died. But then to think to think that the Manson family was literally deadlier than that. That, I mean, that was only at the hand of three people. Yeah, when festivals kill people, man. I mean, you only, <laughs> out in L.A., they had to shut down some of the raves because how many people were dying. Oh, so. my God. You know, um... But just, you know, the this I, f- I feel like, you know, because I guess the reports have said that Quincy Jones was supposed to be in this little hoopla that they were throwing that night, who was a friend of Jay Sabring, wow. and as well as actually Steve McQueen was supposed to also be there. Oh, man. Um, Steve McQueen was actually, he was invited, and he had invited a date to go with him, but this date essentially ended up saving his life because she just wanted to have an intimate night in. So, sex saves lives. That, now you hear that you first go, at the Outcast broadcast, sex saves lives. Yeah, use protection, guys. Sex saves lives. <laughs> but, you know, imagine if these high, like more high-profile people had been there. Like, uh, sure, I, You know, what's kind of sad, though, is I feel like if Sharon Tate hadn't been pregnant, I feel like, and this isn't shading anyone else, anyone else at all, but I feel like she's the one that created the the big, big outcry was, man, they killed a pregnant woman. And Sharon Tate, she was this really sweet person that was just kind of getting fame. She wasn't famous in her own right at that time. She was more famous because she was attached to Roman Polanski. Well, she'd, she'd also um, been in, um, I believe it's called Valley of the Dolls. Correct me if I'm wrong. But she had also uh, had already been in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know she's she's tied to Roman Polanski, who directed one of the best horror movies, in my opinion, *Rosemary's Baby*. Um, I don't know, I don't know to what extent the you know quote unquote fame of these murders would have been had it not had these people. Yeah, because I mean, you think if you if, if Steve McQueen had been there, oh Steve McQueen, damn, man. you know, I think that would have been a. I mean, again, it's a huge loss in general. You know, none of these people deserve to have died the way that they did but you know steve mcqueen had been there i think it would have just been tenfold at that point yeah yeah it definitely would have you know who knows what it could have been or i mean you know the whole point of this obviously was like you said helter skelter and their mantra was to start a race war because he thought that 
Um, you know, and it wasn't obviously Manson ended up putting a swastika on his forehead, which and yeah, when he was in jail, yeah, you know, exactly. So it was never really, I feel like it was never really known if he was like white supremacist because in a lot of what he said, it didn't really seem like there was any supremacy there. It was more of just a way to create chaos and anarchy. Yeah. And then they would become lords of that chaos. Yeah. Which the women that were part of the Manson family that were incarcerated followed suit and also carved swastikas into their foreheads. And I believe also shaved their, their heads. Well, at what, point is, bald. at what point is this just trying to be shocking? I mean, you know, I you feel, know. you know, and to be fair, I feel like most of this was for shock value. And, you know, what kind of piece of shit is that safe? Yeah, it's safe. So, yeah, what piece of, like, yeah, exactly. What is for the shock value of it? That just seems so ridiculous. You know, if I'm doing shock value, I'd just, like, walk outside with my, you know, my ass painted. Or Your something. ass painted? <laughs> I don't know. You know she, she pulled that one out of her ass. <laughs> See, <laughs> walk outside with your ass painted. I mean, if you okay. guys, if, we're, if we're anybody, I'm a very tame person. I look, I'm the shyest person you'll ever meet. But I, I mean, I don't even know to what point. That is just because I don't see if you're really not espousing like white supremacy. Then what does putting a swastika in your forehead even mean? Well, I feel like you know, Charles... like like fuck you. I, I'm white. Like, and all of them were. White, I mean, essentially. I mean, this is some white people shit. Let's, let's not lie. I'm half white. I'm, you know, I'm half Irish myself. Uh, you know, but only white people commit these like crazy, atrocious ass crimes, man. Like, this has white written all over it. I, it, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, uh, Helter Skelter, um, which is also a book that was written by the um, the attorney who was for the state of California against Manson. Okay. Um, I believe his name was uh, Bulioski. I'm, I don't remember right now. Correct us if we're wrong on that. Yes. Um, but he uh, wrote Helter Skelter, the book, which is one of, it's an amazing book. It's very long. I don't usually read books, but this one I had to read. Um, in that book, he stated that, you know, although there's no accounts online of him being racist. You know, he he was a pretty racist person in the sense that, like, you know, you have to be a pretty racist piece of shit to start a race war because essentially what he wanted was for these murders to be pinned on black, black people. people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, you, like, how fucked up is that? Yeah, I feel like you do have to have some sort of, like, some sort of racism to be. But, I mean, you also have to acknowledge the kind of racism that's going on you know, so in a way, it's kind of like it's almost like oxymoronic because he he had to know that there was racism being committed against black people in of order course. for them in order for him to be like, hey, you know what, I'm going to do this, and they're just going to blame black people. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like as you so eloquently put earlier, this is some <laughs> white people shit. I if you look at the way that white murders or white crimes are created against black crimes, I feel like white crimes are a lot more angry. Like a lot more, like they're a lot more psycho. Like they're a lot more like killing people who I are pregnant. Fucking hate you. Yeah, and you then know? like writing blood on the walls. And, I mean, yeah, you, know. you just literally stabbed someone about sixteen times. That's pregnant. Yeah, three of those, which were the fatal wounds. So after three times, you could have stopped. Yeah, I mean, she's a pregnant woman. She's, you know, she's. That's that's what kind of just gets me so crazy. And like, not this is nothing. Charles Manson was who he was. You know. Yeah. Um, 
but for the people that committed it, like Tex and Ab, excuse me, Tex and Susan and Patricia, um, that you had to have some kind of there had to be something already there for you able to commit. And these are their first murders mm-hmm. that we know of. Yeah, they killed that many people in their first murders. One of them being a pregnant woman, and then used the blood. So at that point, I kind of have to go, hey, you know, no matter how crazy Charles Manson is, mm-hmm. these people are just crazy on their own. Oh, you know, after you murder just all these people, just, you know, as if that wasn't witchy enough, leave something witchy, you know. And so she, uh, I began, I believe it was um, Susan Atkins took Sharon's blood and just wrote pig on her blood um, it, as if that wasn't witchy enough. Yeah, yeah. You no, know? the whole thing, the whole thing did seem, I'm actually surprised that there wasn't more of a cult and this is why it's so weird because i don't believe that this is like a religious cult at all even though no, you, you hear don't. them say that like charlie was like jesus and, and that kind of stuff and like like lay you, off the lsd girl yeah well lay, i mean lay off a lot of things lay off. Probably, who knows what they took oh, jesus point. i don't even want to think about it that's a drug cocktail i want to take what the manson family took you know what i'm saying <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no i don't i don't think so yeah. <laughs> let's, not, let's not go there no we're not doing that <laughs> um i just don't want to take any kool-aid from jim jones but um, it's cherry Kool-Aid. Yeah, it's cherry. Mm. But um, no, like, wait, like, so it's kind of crazy just that I don't believe, personally, I don't believe that he should be in the, the if you want to say Pantheon, but I know a lot of people are going to say, well, it really sounds like you're esteeming serial killers here. And it's like, no, I'm not esteeming serial killers. But there is a kind of, each serial killer has a legend that goes with them. And, Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, you yeah. know, that that's why we remember the worst of the worst. You know, Albert Fish, uh H.H. H. Holmes, you know, so many other people. And at this point, I don't feel like Charles Manson. I, I think he should be closer to Jim Jones. Oh, I think they're like yeah, in like, the exact same, exact same wavelength. I, you know, I just want to, I just want to do a disclaimer real quick. If you are of the people that fantasizes about sending love letters to these people, which Chris Watts, who famously, un, unfamously, um, murdered his wife and his two daughters uh, just recently. Um, he's getting love letters in prison now. You know, this happens to a lot. I mean, I think I think even Charles Manson up until his dying day was getting love I letters. I believe he actually married a few times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. He did. And it's and it's like... like Ted Bundy as well. And that's where I just think that it's so crazy because this idea of this idea of he needed to push these people that hard, I think is it's not... He did, but he didn't because... You know already what this guy did. So the guy, the, the people in the Manson family were already thinking of him as like in a kind of positive way. But then you have people that knowing what he did, knowing what he pushed these people to do, they still, still write him love letters. I, you know, um, you, if you do that, if you, if you think of sending a love letter or if you have, I mean, I'm sorry, but you're kind of the worst because you are acknowledging, okay, not ever in a million years if my husband ever did anything like that before I even knew him, would I send him a love letter after he murdered like a whole family? I got two words for you. <laughs> Helter Skelter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you no, know, but yeah, I truly believe that I think you in your right mind would be like, get this piece of shit away. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know it would it means... hurt you, but it wouldn't be like, Hey, let's keep this going while you're in prison. You know what? I'll, fucking i'll help you carry the knife <laughs> you know like you don't do that you 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 just you know we're not here to praise anyone if, of this caliber these people do not deserve any praise and i think that's also why you know we don't really 
want to talk too much about these killers in like a bright shiny ray of like light you know mm-hmm. um but we're we're very just interested in the human mind like what is it that pushes people to create to do these atrocious things and i think it was one of the it's one of those things to where i the reason i think we started with charles manson is because obviously this is something that we've heard a lot about um it's the southern california it's very steeped in southern california you know everyone kind of talks about it even if you're into serial killers or not Mm -hmm. into true crime or not everyone can remember where they were yeah um if you were alive back then um or even when you ever first heard about it yeah yeah because you know because it's definitely it it happened in, in the hollywood hills too so this is something that's just kind of not not even just LA, but Hollywood itself. You yeah. know, like these were people. You know, Roman Polanski is still alive. Um, I'm sure he's still feeling the after effects of all this. You His know, his life was um, changed forever. He lost a kid. Yeah, he lost a, and a wife and a wife. Yeah, yeah like, you know, and uh, th- that doesn't really speak to anything else that he's done. But you know, I think that that would I think that would change anyone. And you know, and you it just kind of shows how these things can affect anyone because even uh, Abigail Folger, heiress to like. The fucking Folger coffee, like yeah, like you're not safe. I mean, yeah, you know, th- this is supposed to be a community for all intents and purposes, Hollywood, where all these celebrities live. You know, Calabasas. There's supposed to be these high, like gated, super security infused like communities, and for something like this to have happened, you know, granted, probably back then they didn't have the huge security systems that they do now, like. You know, Kardashians. I'm sure you have to enter a code or something. And yeah, no, I, well, definitely. That's why I think a lot of these things, this, this crime, is kind of what led to those things. Is because yeah. you know they, they didn't want just anyone coming into their houses. You know, this front. I don't even know if they, that was a gated community to where you needed you need to check in or not. But still, that was something to where I think this showed this showed people at that time that anyone was not safe. Oh no, you know, this was also a time where. You know, and even my my mother in law would would um, say that back then nobody locked their doors, nobody locked their windows. You know, you just felt so safe, like nothing could ever happen. And then you know this comes in, and then a few years later uh, comes Richard Ramirez, just yeah. invites himself into your home because you just so happen to have the window open. Yeah, you know, everybody was just so I trusting. I want to say it was, and I think this was definitely the start of. In a weird way, this I wouldn't call this a serial killer movement. This, but this was the start of like serial killers. Like then after the, yeah, that way. after this came Zodiac, came Richard Ramirez. You know, yeah. a lot of the California killers. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, yeah. So I mean, in a way, maybe this was the start of the frenzy, the end, the ending of the summer of love, and the starting of the the blood frenzy. Mm-hmm. Um, just one one last thing that I wanted to go kind of crazy was just uh, that he actually had contact, and I don't want to associate this guy's name with Charles Manson, but with one of the beach boys. Oh yes. So yeah. Um, Charles wanted to be a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when that didn't happen, he became a, you know, what we we're talking about today. Well, look but, what happened when Hitler couldn't become an artist. Oh you shit. Know? You know, yeah. that's a whole other podcast. Um, but he wanted to be a musician. He thought he was just this great guitar player, great singer. And somehow he became friends with, I believe it was Brian Wilson. Dennis Wilson. Dennis Dennis Wilson. Wilson, Excuse me. Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. And Dennis Wilson, I believe at one point I read that he just thought that Charles was this 
quack guy like didn't take him seriously he just well they ended up they 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 ended up taking and recording one of his songs um but they did not give him any credit so i don't know if this was before the the murders you know what you guys after. the beach boys are responsible for yeah this. the beach boys play their play their record backwards and then you'll see what's up die pigs die and that song is the song was actually called cease to exist so that should kind of tell you oh okay <laughs> yeah they, they changed it to never learn not to love <laughs> You know what? Those beach boys, those squeaky clean little 1950s boys. And you know what? With that, we're going to end our true uh, crime podcast. And uh, what's coming up is this is the Beach Boys, and the song is called Cease to Exist. In Navajo culture, a skinwalker is a type of harmful witch who has the ability to turn into, possess, or disguise themselves as an animal. The term is never used for healers. And it's one of those things that you, I believe in the supernatural, but I don't believe in the fringes of supernatural. I mean, I would say the craziest thing that I believe in is probably Bigfoot. Um, but even then, I feel like there's a lot more proof for that than a lot of the supernatural things, but I want to get into that right now. Um, but about three years ago, me, my mom, and my brother went on a trip to the Grand Canyon. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with the Grand Canyon, a lot of it is actually located in Arizona. But there's also a lot of Native American land all around it, usually on the north, the northeastern side of where the where it is. Uh, we were on the southwestern side of it uh, in Arizona. And so we, we encountered a lot of wildlife there. You know, we saw there was actually a lot of crows. Uh, we actually had a watermelon that the crows completely hollowed out uh, just because we left it alone for like 30 minutes. So there was a lot of wildlife, uh, moose, and we had asked the rangers if there was any predators. And they said, no, there's really no cougars. There's no wolves, no coyotes specifically, uh, because those are the ones that are scavengers and, you know, no bears and that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, you know, we I have very little Native American descent in me, but I have some of it. So. I always took Native American culture and their omens to be something that maybe, maybe that we don't understand in nature, but something they did. But I always thought that skinwalkers were completely just, you know, just a scary, a scary folktale, which is actually how this story begins. Because I want to say it was the first or second night that we were there in the, uh, in the Grand Canyon area while we were camping and it was, you know, pretty dark at night. The, the campfire was the only light that we had. And I had heard a tale, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of you had seen it on Creepypasta or Reddit No Sleep and that kind of stuff, uh, to where this kid talks about being on Navajo land with his uncle. And they're like in the truck, I believe. But then all of a sudden they see something or someone running right by their truck. So I was telling my mom this story because... Uh, you know, what it ends up being is a skinwalker because as they look outside the truck, all of a sudden they see a coyote instead of a man where, where they saw a man running with the truck. And I mean, keep in mind, this truck is going about 50 miles, 60 miles per hour. Oh, the truck was moving? Yeah, the truck was moving. Oh, the truck they, was straight up moving. Wow. Yeah. So um, that being said, right when I got to the point of saying, oh, yeah, and then instead of a man, they saw a coyote. I see my mom and my brother's face and they kind of just look shocked. I mean, they'll tell you that they, they didn't turn white or whatever, but they really did turn white. I saw their faces. Like even by the, the firelight, they turned pale and they're kind of pointing, they're pointing right behind me. And I'm going, what, what? Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking this is just a skinwalker tale. They have, they, they have pretty thick skin. Nothing really scares them. 
But then I look behind us and lo and behold, there's a coyote kind of, it, it was sitting kind of just like it was listening to the tale as well. And it was right at the part where I said the skinwalker had turned into a coyote in the story. So this, I mean, the, the sheer odds of that is like you have a better chance of winning the lottery for when you're telling a, a coyote, a skinwalker coyote <laughs> tale. And then all of a sudden there's a coyote listening to you when there's not even supposed to be coyotes around. Can you imagine you're telling us a horror story about La Llorona and then all of a sudden. Oh, hell no. That's a whole, that's a whole <laughs> different tale for me. Uh, but yeah, no. So anyway, so th- we, we all kind of just go quiet and we watch this coyote and it stays at, at a right about where the fireside is, like where the firelight is. It doesn't really come near us. And it looks at us. It just straight up looks at us. It doesn't do anything. And then it kind of walks away behind our tents. We're like at this point, okay, no more scary stories. We're thinking maybe this is just a whatever coyote, you know, whatever and that kind of stuff. Anyway, we go to sleep. Nothing really happens at night. You know, we kind of, we, we just sleep it off and that kind of stuff. And then we get up in the morning. Me and my mom, when we're camping, always usually end up, end up getting around at sunrise. Uh, you know, even though we sleep in different tents, we always just end up somehow coming up when the sun comes up. So uh, we were getting ready to boil water over the fire for coffee. And then what, lo and behold, comes behind us and walks to our camp again, the coyote. And so we're just like freaking out because this coyote is only using a track that is in our, for some reason, in our tent site. And we checked with the rangers again. We checked with other people. We were like, hey, is there any coyotes in this area? And the rangers were like, no, that's why we don't tell people to put it. We don't, we don't advise people putting their trash away or we don't have locked uh locked boxes and that kind of stuff what they call bear boxes because there's no scavengers around there except for the crows and the and the ravens and so we're just like freaking our shit because at this point it's like you know what like i said what are the chances of having the skinwalker tail coincide right when a coyote that's not supposed to be there comes over by the fireside and that's always something that to me there's always been certain things that have happened to me this is just one tale that I think it's proven to me that something out there exists. Like we were, we weren't close to Native American land, but we were close enough to where I feel like this is very interesting. And it was Navajo land that we were close to. So uh, my Miss Scully here has always been a. Uh, I'm true to the name Scully. If you've ever watched the X Files, you have Mulder and you have Scully. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I definitely fit that mold. I. You know, I believe for the most part, I've I've had a few encounters. Um, you know, the Queen Mary, I saw that little kid, and then um, there's I had an apartment that we were living in with my family, and the tenant after we moved swears up and down that she saw a ghost that looked just like me, and then you know I've always felt my grandfather around me, but for the most part, I. If you tell me you've saw you've seen something, you've heard something, I will come up with some sort of reasoning for it. Okay, but so my whole thing would be, and this isn't me trying to like start a debate or anything. This Usually isn't me trying is. to put <laughs> this isn't me trying to push the supernatural, even though I always do the truth is out there, hashtag box molder. Um No, but like how would you explain a coyote coming at the exact time that I was talking about the coyote and the skin changing story? Um well, disclaimer, this was, what, maybe a year and a half before we got married. So this yeah, is the this first is time about... I hear this story. No, this is not. Well, the, the actual story. that Because I didn't the know whole about story. the story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, maybe shit just happens. 
but at the same time, you know, you're you're being told by the park rangers that the most that you'll you're gonna experience animal wise is just crows and ravens, you know. Nothing. Yeah, and I mean we saw a moose and that kind of stuff, but that's but that's the whole thing. We saw prey. We saw <laughs> like yeah, no, I mean we saw like moose and what they call like a and uh oh I forget some kind of deer. Some kind of like crazy deer and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But we saw prey, but we saw no predators. And they said that no predators were really around there. I mean, you know, <laughs> before my before we got married, um, I would just hear these crazy stories from him and like his mom. And, you know, I was like, no, nah, none of that really happens. That's not true. But, you know, you get these two together and you just hear the wildest stories and the wildest things just happen, you know, like within our family, just some weird shit happens. So, you know, I do, you know, you how know, is it that, that you got to, you like in your story, you said coyote and a coyote shows up. Yeah. Cause literally, cause the, in the story, the kid is driving, the kid is driving with his uncle and they are, they are native American themselves and they're driving across a piece of land going home um, from camping or just sightseeing or something. And it's known that this land has, there's superstition around this land yeah. and that kind of thing. And so then out the window, they they see a person running with the truck. And I mean, this truck is going at least 40 miles, you know, an, an hour. And it's 40 miles per hour. Angry. Yeah. And and when they see someone going, running with them, they speed up. You know what I mean? They, at this point, they're, they're, they're scared. They're, I mean, if you see someone running with you, and this is like partially like on a highway, then you're going to fucking, you're going to shit your pants. Like, I don't care who you are. No, I mean, I don't I care if you're Ash from <laughs> Evil Dead, you're going to shit your pants. Um, but then, but then when they looked back and to see it after they had gotten away from it a much, they didn't see anything except a coyote running away from the truck. And it was at that point that I kind of do the punchline in it. And then there was a coyote running from the truck. Cause it's a skin changer that right when I said coyote, my mom and brother start pointing and they, they, they can't even talk really because they're kind of just shocked. And there's a coyote probably only about eight feet behind me. Mm -hmm. And But the weird thing is, is that in the Navajo culture and, and everything I can find is that skin changers are supposed to be evil and, and like witch doctors and that kind of stuff. But I never, I, you know, I never got that feeling from this. Well, in their transition to become, you know, skin walkers don't they have to eat meat like human flesh no that's more of like wendigo kind of thing but see that the, the skin changer and the wendigo kind of thing is very linked in a lot of the native american mm -hmm. but like usually there is some sort of like evil thing they have to do in order to become like they said no healers are skinwalkers yeah so i mean it's basically what they're trying to say is that this is black magic yeah but i mean there we i guess the existential question of is all black magic negative? I mean, it's black magic. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I guess I'm asking a skeptic about magic and that kind of thing, but I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a weird like, skeptic because, you know, I'm, I, I don't believe, but I'm fucking scared of everything. You know, like I, I, I believe that there's a force somewhere something negative where you can probably call it black magic you know somebody's trying to curse you or you know do something but at the same time like if you give me evidence i will knock it away you know i won't really believe it but it's it's most if you're gonna tell me that you're a witch i i will probably question you like you know because i want to know to what extent you are a witch but you know i also 
I, I feel like all black magic is negative because if you're using black magic, I feel like you're using it as like revenge, you know? I, I think that, I don't know that's strange because I really, really, the, the whole point I've tried to get out of this is what was the coyote wanting to show me? You know what I mean? Like, or what was it? What was it doing there? Like, what was the message? Was the message that skinwalkers exist and that yeah, you should, you know, you should respect Native American lore? I mean, that's the only thing that I could think of. Was but, like, hey, we're here, respect our land. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, is that something really that you need a lesson learned? Do you, you, no, because for the most part, one of the you, you are Native American, you know, yeah, a little bit, little. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't feel like you're gonna be over here like ah, fuck Native Americans, you know, like you deserved <laughs> your land stolen, like. What yeah, is Coyote trying to prove to you, you know? I think in a weird way, I think it was, you know, when I told people the story, a lot of, you know, a lot of people were just like, whoa, that's crazy. Maybe it was just, it was letting you know that they're there, that they're mm -hmm. still watching. Mm -hmm. And I think that is kind of interesting because, you know, with Native American land, I mean, you have things like the Wendigos, you have things like, um, that they've, that they've seen in the, the forest and they believe that the forest and especially places like the Grand Canyon, which is a lot of spiritual I believe that the Grand Canyon has lost spiritual energy around it. Anytime I feel there, I feel like it's completely just like, whoa. Like, I feel almost, uh, I want to use the word belittled, but I feel like that's a little, like, harsh. I mean, it's the complete opposite. I, I feel belittled. like, no, but I feel like, I feel like I lose myself in it. Like, it's so grand that it just makes me realize that I'm so small and that humans are just so small in this world that we can't even, like, how can we begin to comprehend the world when, you know, like something like the Grand Canyon, and they even see in the layers of the Grand Canyon how many millions of years it's been there. Billions of years. I mean, the Grand Canyon in general, like, it's probably one of the most awe-inspiring, beautiful places you'll ever go. Like, something, something magical comes over you when you're at the Grand Canyon, you know? Yeah, and I agree. And that's where I think certain places just have that kind of power. And especially with Native Americans, they always... They always went to places of power in the mm -hmm. landscape. Yes, nature-wise, of course. Yeah, like, you know, you even have the Anasazi who were in, I believe, Colorado that built their, you know, built their land into the actual canyon side and wow. that kind of stuff. And so, you know, these people really live with nature. And I think it's, I think it's kind of ignorant of us to think that we know nature better than they do. But the, what the really crazy part is if we have to start believing in things like skin changers, I mean, then things like the Wendigo, things like the Thunderbird, things things like even Bigfoot, things that they've recorded for thousands of years. I mean, couldn't those potentially be real now at the same time? I don't know about that, buddy. I mean, well, I'm, like I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm explaining like if to me, I'm not saying that was proof. I didn't see that coyote turn into a person. Dude, imagine if that just happened in front of you guys. Oh my god. Fuck. Fuck that. I would have ran at that point. Would've <laughs> you would have like, left everything behind. I'd be like, Mom, get some fire. But see, you know, that's the whole thing is like, that's fearful. And so that anything that incites fear in you, I feel is always going to be negative. But what if it's just, what if it's connotated as negative? Maybe they don't even pla practice black magic. Maybe well, they're just some kind of crazy What being. color was the coyote? Just regular coyote, like more gray, like gray brownish, rusty brown. Hmm. So I feel like if it would have been like black, it would kind of, you know, like serious black, it's black dog, it's bad luck. A grim. Yeah. Or, you know, if it would have been white, it's like a peaceful, like, yes. Like ghosts be here. from, from be Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, it, you you guys, know nothing, Jon Snow. Everything literally goes back to Game of Thrones. What if that was my dire wolf? What if it was my last chance to get a dire wolf? Like, you're waiting for your Harry Potter letter? I'm waiting for my dire wolf. Yeah, I got my Harry Potter letter. Yeah.
Slytherin. Yes, Slytherin pride. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, before we even get started on that topic. Um, no, because I think, but to me, it's one of those things to where, like, it was proof of some existence of that. I'm not saying that that animal could turn into a man, but I feel like it was some kind of, whether it was like a spiritual animal, whether it was connected to Native American lore, like a, like maybe a, a deity, a god of the, a god of like the green, if you want to call it, a god of the forest, as the they land. call it. Yeah. Then maybe it was just like, yeah, like you are speaking about things that are true here. Because I definitely feel like it was a sign. Like it came to us at that exact point of telling about this lore. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, like I said, I have better odds of winning the lottery. I mean, like we were having our, our conversation the other night, like nothing. I, I believe that at this point in life, you know, being in our, in, you know, 30s or late 20s, like literally no, I feel like nothing in the world is coincidence anymore. <laughs> it's just... You know, like, it, it's just, you know, if you believe in God, it's God having a sense of humor at this point. Like, I I don't know why a coyote, a coyote? I don't know how to say coyote. I don't know why that animal <laughs> came, <laughs> came to, you know, present itself at the moment that you were literally speaking of it. You know? Yeah. That's. But, I mean, what would you call it if not a sign? I mean, in your like you said, like in your, I'm not trying to make you be like skeptic and be like, oh, it's just a dog that came mm -hmm. in that. But I mean, in your mind, like truly, like what? How do you explain that off as a skeptic? I mean, that's what that's what I that's what I always ask people because it's more like, hey, give me reasoning mm -hmm. in order for me to doubt it mm -hmm. because there's nothing I could really do to truly doubt this. I mean, you're close. Is 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 the Grand Canyon close to the woods? Like you would say, right? Like it's it's kind of there's right woods, there. yeah. There's woods around. I it, mean, it maybe it was just a coyote, like fucking having an adventure and like, hey, people, you know. I mean, yeah, I guess I could, you know, like coincidentally and that kind of thing. But I don't. To me, that that just kind of. But things... it's still very random that the hey people that you stumbled upon were just talking about you. Like, I don't think... Yeah, I mean, know, I literally was saying coyote in a scary story. Yeah. I mean, that's the equivalent of, like, and then... It was almost like I planned it as if it was, like, and then the the hook man of the woods comes out, and then I have someone hiding with a hook going, you know, to, to purposely scare people. <laughs> yeah. It was like that, but I never planned. I don't own a coyote. I don't I don't uh, say that people should own coyotes or any wolf yes. dogs because they're of the wild. They're wildlife. Yeah, don't they're own wildlife. wildlife. Yeah, don't even own huskies. If don't you're in California, that. don't own huskies. Yes, just because you watch Game of Thrones doesn't mean you should yes. own one. There is, okay? There's thousands of huskies in our damn shelters right now because people don't understand how like energetic they are and how they are just not suited for Southern California heat. Yeah. I'm sorry, but they're not. Like adopt, Unless you're grooming don't them. Shop. Yeah, exactly. And don't adopt that. Anyway, anyway. after that tangent. Um, <laughs> you know... As a skeptic, I don't really have an answer for that. I mean, like... Boom, proven. Okay, ghosts are real. I'm not saying ghosts are real. <laughs> See, that's... But this was for me, like, I I truly believe, and just, like, to kind of get some background on me, I do believe in ghosts way more than I believe in cryptozoology. I don't believe in, like, the dog man or, or like, that kind of stuff. I believe in Bigfoot, but that's because people have been seeing Bigfoot and documenting it for thousands of years. Um, <laughs> she just did a Bigfoot motion her best Bigfoot motion. Yes. Um, but like, this was my first kind of, I call it like, I call it like super, like regular supernatural, which is like ghost, quote unquote, demonic, like that kind of stuff. And then I call it like the higher mysteries in which you have like cryptozoology, like, like actual tangible beings that can actually defy physics. Cause I mean, if this is a skinwalker, what we're really getting into the realm here is that 
these beings can legitimately turn from human shape to animal shape mm -hmm. at will from what it seems. Yeah. So, I mean, but then there's also, but this could also attribute things to things like the werewolf. You know what I mean? What if these, what if these are the things that people have been hearing about for thousands of years and we just had, and they were really the same thing, but we just had no idea. I mean, I don't know. What would it take? What would it take for you to be like, yes, they're skinwalkers? I mean, literally see, you know, I, if my cat right now had the energy to do anything other than just sleep, if she could just turn into a human right now, then yes, I believe in, in skinwalkers. Okay, okay, but that's a regular cat. That's a household cat that okay. we got from the pound. Yes. But what I'm saying is like, what would you need to see? Could there be anything that you see in the forest? Uh, aside from literally seeing an animal turn into a human that could prove to you that skinwalkers exist. I don't think any, I mean, unless I see it happening right in front of my eyes, I don't know that I could really believe that they're real. Yeah. I don't know. That's, it's still hard for me. All I know is that this, and even then I'm what I call like a, ah, there's this word for it, like a skeptic believer, a skeptical believer, because like I said, I believe in supernatural. I believe like you shouldn't use a spirit board or what they call like a Ouija board. Yes. I believe that's opening up a gate. Yeah, don't do um, that. Yeah, I, I believe in those kind of things. When it comes to witchcraft, when it comes to other higher mysteries and legends and that kind of stuff, mm, that's the only thing that I kind of am like, I don't know about that, Jan. Yeah. You know, like, like I, I know, Karen, you're yeah. kind of pushing it. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Like you're kind of pushing it. This is where I kind of, you know, it goes into those realm of people where like they talk about abductions, but then they go into this like crazy aspect where they're like, yeah, and then I played tennis with the aliens and like, I mean, some people get some pretty elaborate stories. Okay, you know what, Charlie? Stop. <laughs> Whatever you're in healing. Aliens. No. no. So, so that's a whole, okay, aliens are a whole other arena. You know, I always get freaked out when we start talking about aliens to the point that we don't really normally, there's... I don't know if you've read, have you ever seen the movie called A Fire in the Sky? Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay, that movie, fucking trippy, dude. That that movie scared me. I will say, you know, and there's some crazy things where like skin skinwalkers are actually linked with aliens. For instance, if you guys ever and have never heard the story of Skinwalker Ranch, go go to go type in bedtime stories Skinwalker Ranch. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels, bedtime stories, and dude. Oh my God, Skinwalker Ranch! If you're if you're a fan of the paranormal, if you're a fan of aliens, if you're a skeptic, go check that out because damn, like there is so much more. It doesn't. It's not really the Skinwalker that I'm talking about, but there's just so much there that it's like, what the hell is going on there? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like a lot, and you know, there are people who link supernatural to aliens, mm -hmm. but I I prefer to think that one is super scientific and one is spiritual, and maybe, and maybe they'll kind of meet up someday. Yeah. Like, I think that's where we're going. But for now, they're both two different things. So, okay. yeah, you heard my story and your verdict Your verdict is still... My verdict is um, don't believe in skinwalkers. Okay. But that is a very Ouch. difficult... I don't know, man. Like, Don't believe in skinwalkers, but there's coyote, no answer to my story. A coyote showing up when you're talking about coyotes... That's hard. I don't know. Maybe maybe he was uh he was looking for the roadrunner, you know? Meet me.
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, and it is set in a fictional 1960s Los Angeles, California. Yeah, and right now it's sitting on about 85% Rotten Tomatoes. 85%. I feel, do you feel like that's, we, we saw this when it came out back in July mm-hmm. of 2019. Yeah. And I know that it's up for like some awards, I want to say. I don't know. I believe <laughs> Brad Pitt just won a Best Supporting Actor. And I know Quentin Tarantino won something for it. I'm not sure if it's for screen a screenwriter or director, but I know he won an award for it as well. That'd be so. I think this is definitely. I mean, this is definitely a Tarantino movie. You know what it's I mean? It's 100 a love letter for Los Angeles and Hollywood at that time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And then, so I mean, to kind of give background about like what's going on, we already said it was set in a fictional 1960s. Um, basically, you have uh, two characters. You have Rick Dalton, which is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and then you have Cliff Booth, which is played by Brad Pitt. And Clint and Rick Dalton, excuse me, is uh, he's kind of like the actor, the quintessential actor that's like got the looks and you know, kind of like the wide range of emotions that's kind of going on all the time. Yeah, I feel I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio had a very fun time playing maybe a fictionalized version of himself because he he is playing an actor and it, it, you know? it is always fun to see an actor playing an actor because it's like how much of this is satire. And how much he thinks this is actors, but yeah. like how much of it is real yeah. to what this goes on. Because he was such a mess sometimes. Like, like that's what I really liked about Cliff Booth, which was Brad Pitt, is Brad Pitt, he can play, he could definitely play eccentric. I mean, we saw him in like Fight Club, we've seen him yeah. in other things that just he kind of goes off the rails. But in this, he was always the kind of pseudo like calming factor mm-hmm. for Leonardo DiCaprio's like actor. Yeah. I mean, Brad Pitt did such a such an amazing job. I think the only other time I've seen him be this crazy was in Snatch. I've never really seen him be... One of my favorite Brad Pitt movies is um, Benjamin Button, uh, which is completely opposite and different to what this role. Oh, yeah. Asked yeah way, Absolutely. way. Well, no, because well, I think because Brad Pitt was definitely more low-key. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he, what was really cool is, I mean, he was this stuntman. He would come out and... He was one. He's kind of like a macho guy. Yeah, like that whole that whole scene with Bruce Lee. And I'm a Bruce Lee fan, so this was kind of problematic for me because I didn't like seeing Bruce Lee put out as like this like arrogant. There, there's a scene where he's supposed to be with Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee comes off as this just complete arrogant asshole. And uh, <laughs> and Cliff Booth, which is Brad Pitt, kind of you know kind just of chastises him and kicks his ass like completely. And um. And so, like, it's it's kind of hilarious, but I think it's also kind of like a, obviously taking a dig at what Bruce Lee was. And I don't know, which is really funny, though, because as far as I know, Quentin Tarantino loves martial arts films. Mm-hmm. I mean, he refers them, he I references mean, them Bill. and Kill Bill. Yeah, you know, like, that was a whole big thing. But maybe he's just saying he's not a fan of Bruce Lee or I just think he that was he's overrated. It. I think he was, honestly, for myself, I'm, you know, we both love Quentin Tarantino and he definitely goes on his tangents in his films. I think the whole Bruce Lee scene could have been kind of cut out of that. It didn't really necessarily have a fit in there other than to... Um, I mean, it was funny. It definitely was funny. Oh, it was funny. But I think, you know, if you wanted to put um, Cliff Booth's, um, you know, what he can do, I think you could have done it another way. But I think it's because it's in 1960s and Quentin Tarantino really 
it was the best way for him to reference. And I mean, another thing with Cliff Booth is they kind of show that like, so for 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 instance, Rick Dalton, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, he's, his glory days are over. He's trying to find his niche. And Cliff Booth has always been his stunt double and kind of always got jobs through him. Mm -hmm. So Brad Pitt is very, very intimately like ride or die for Leonardo DiCaprio's character, but he's also known as being kind of problematic, kind of having these things happen to him on set. You gather that a lot of people kind of don't like him. You know, the whole thing with the, the director's wife not liking him. <laughs> that was hilarious. That was, about, that was about Cliff Booth, right? <laughs> yeah, that was about Brad Pitt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, which, by the way, that stendable was definitely something my Mike's brother. I definitely think that that was his brother. From um, from Death Proof. Oh, so yeah, because he was played by who again? That he was like actually Russell? played, yes, by Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kurt Russell did have a little cameo in this, and it was kind of a callback because no, he wasn't in this movie. The person that played the the stuntman, I I believe, is the brother to Kurt Russell's character. Kurt Russell, I don't believe, was in this movie. So you're saying, wait a minute, you're saying that Brad Pitt's character? No, no, no. Okay, I'm confused here. Okay. I'm confused. Okay. I, Let's start all over because we're gonna no. Do that. no 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 just okay. go. Um, I just I, I think it's just a, a little Easter egg because Quentin Tarantino. But yeah, but who are you talking about? The the guy whose wife hates him. Yeah, he's not a stuntman. Yeah, he's he a is. stunt director. Yeah, but he was he's a retired stuntman. What? Okay, so obviously there's things that I even missed because I thought I I do know what she's referencing, but I didn't think that the guy. So he was an ex stuntman who's now the stunt director. His wife is the one that did not like, like him. him. Yeah. But then that, so that was. I stuntman believe Mike. that's stuntman. Mike's well, because brother. he referenced him, right? Yeah, because in in Death Proof, he says my brother is a stuntman, and that's why I became a stuntman. Wow. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah, because that that setting would definitely fit because Death Proof was pseudo sixties. Dude, Death. You know. It was 60s, but a lot of people try to say that like it was set. They don't know what time. I believe it was, it was the 80s. I feel. I, at this point, I mean, who knows at this point in that kind of stuff. But it's cool because there's always interesting callbacks because there was a lot of callbacks in this that really made it feel. I believe they used the same place that they used in Pulp Fiction at the start for of Pulp where? Fiction. When they were out, when they were going out um, for, for coffee once. Really? Yeah, it felt because there's a lot of things about this that really because Pulp Fiction, a lot of people remember like the Zed's dead, you know, kind of yeah. part and that kind of stuff or whatever. Baby. Yeah, it's a chopper baby. Um, you know, the 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 whole heart, the adrenaline going into the heart scene. Yeah. But that movie was also a lot, a lot of talking. And I think a lot of oh. people forget about that. To where the parts, like the parts with John Travolta and um Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson, I think those parts are just amazing, mm-hmm. legendary. Mm-hmm. I love when the Royale with cheese. That whole conversation yeah. is just hilarious. Royale with cheese. Yeah, I love it. And that kind of stuff. And then um with uh Marcel's wife, I forget her name right now. Uh, Mia Wallace. Yeah, Mia Wallace. When the whole John Travolta scene with Mia Wallace when they're at the fifties diner, mm-hmm. I think that the dialogue was in it was just so amazing, and I feel like they kind of capture it with this too. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time in Hollywood, because um, like the scene that Leonardo DiCaprio has with the the younger uh, actress, yeah, like it's just so hilarious. But it kind it kind of teaches you so much about his character. Yeah, you know, he's just so vulnerable. He feels like his time is done. I think like he's really just trying to prove to himself and to other people that he's not like the 
He's not old for Hollywood. Not yeah, he's yet. not At forgotten. Not he's yet. not forgotten. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just wants. He just wants some kind of like validation. Validation, even if it's coming somebody. from like this little nine-year-old girl. Yeah. That's the best acting I've ever yeah. seen. Like, oh my god! And um, so there's a lot of people in here. Um, I kind of want to also talk about Margot Robbie, her playing Sharon Tate. Damn, I really have to say she. For me, she was. The one that stole my heart in that movie. Well, one of the one one of the controversies of that of that was that she only had about a new, uh, just eight minutes of dialogue. She actually didn't have that much dialogue in the film, and so a lot of that's people true. are, yeah, you know, you know, for I feel Quentin Tarantino has always been a, a woman empowerment kind of thing. I mean, you don't make Kill Bill not having kind of that kind yeah. of mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. I feel like maybe, yeah, Margot Robbie has only eight minutes of dialogue, but it just goes to prove that she's just that good of an actress for you to compel, even with only acting and not really having to speak that much. I, I think that's true. She really conveyed a sense of almost like naivete with like, naivete, the way you say that is Naivete. Naivete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Um, but like, also like the sense of innocence. I like that she really, I feel like you kind of, she was unknowable. You know what I mean? Because that's what Sharon Tate is in this kind of like symbolization in, in the world is that she's unknowable. She's just this person that was a victim, this beautiful victim yes. who kind of didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. She herself was innocent. This was before Polanski's whole other bullshit well, yeah and that kind of stuff which we won't even go into um but like i think i think they did they did a good way of showing her sexy because they obviously showed her i mean it's margot robbie there's no and way it's that, quentin tarantino he, yeah. he had to show those those legs that yeah those, feet, those legs know? and those feet definitely. i mean <laughs> when she had that dirty feet like little scene i was like mm-hmm, tarantino <laughs> Dog. well with with sharon tate you know it's unfortunate that in the real world and not in, in tarantino's version of the events which i i f- i found myself really yearning for that version of reality rather than what actually happened but it was a true fairy tale that's what i think i love is that you're like damn this is it something that i wish, wish i could keep yes, yeah like- it makes you wish that that was the fate that had happened rather than what actually happened. Um, But, you know, unfortunately in this real world, you know, the only reason we really know Sharon Tate's name is because of what happened to her. Mm -hmm. You know, had none of this happened, would, you know, to what extent would her name have infamy? You know, like not infamy, but you know, like, like, how much would she have been? Would she have been famous? What legacy? Yeah. What legacy would she have? Would we even know the name of Sharon Tate now? what, and what's kind of funny, it's spoiler alert. This is a huge spoiler alert, just letting you guys know for anyone who hasn't seen it's it. It's been a year, guys. But yeah, on. it's been a year. I'm just, you know. So stop now and, and go, <laughs> I would say, maybe in about two minutes ahead. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. But the whole point of the movie is it kind of butters you up for, you know, the coup de grace scene. This is about Sharon Tate and um, her being at Roman Polanski's estate with J.C. Bring, Abigail Folger, kind of bringing mm-hmm. it back from what we first talked about, about the Charles Manson murders. Yeah. Or the Manson family murders. Mm-hmm. Um. And you expect that that's going to happen all throughout the entire the entire movie. Yeah, like your heart's racing the whole time, kind yeah. of wondering, like, what is Quentin Tarantino going to do? Like, is he going to portray what actually happened? Or uh-huh. my heart was racing. I don't yeah, know about you, when, when but I know, was when, like, fuck, what is about to happen? When the Manson family came on the scene and they finally were going to go do it, I was like, holy shit. Because Tarantino, he's known for being violent. You know what I mean? So, so violence in his movie is not something that's like, oh, my God. 
this is not this, it's not you know, a mind-blowing and if anything yeah. once upon a time in hollywood is super low violence it's a lot team well i mean that last the last like 15 minutes of the film 15 20 minutes of the film are pretty gory but generally overall like if you watch you know Django and um, Inglorious Bastards Kill Bill like it's yeah from beginning to end it's even Pulp Fiction has it's very know? there's there's scenes of acute uh, intense intense violence yeah. and this is where with this like it does have that the, the payoff scene where like I said spoiler alert uh Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton who are actually live Rick Dalton actually lives right by right next estate. door yeah, right next door so he's actually there and he just sees these hippies go into the uh go into the house and while Cliff uh Brad Pitt's high character on his ass, by yeah, the is, way. High, is high on a, a cigarette dipped in acid yeah um they go kind of see what's going on and what's wrong and it all I'm just gonna say it involves a flamethrower and let's just say they, they they save the day. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh they save, my god! They save the fucking day in the best way possible. They, and in the end, they got invited to Sharon T. Yeah, they said, "Hey, come on over while we wait for join the, the party." Yeah, join the party. And you know, it was a great thing because you see, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like revenge fantasy, which I think I, you know, that's what that's what Quentin Tarantino is all about. Because it's like saying, "Hey, to those people that committed this, fuck you. Like oh. this is what I want to do to you." Yeah. You know, I, you know, with this. It's more like, it's more like Quentin, it was just a very, I like the way that he did it only, and I was kind of worried because I didn't want Quentin to kind of focus, which, I mean, I feel, Charles Manson was only in it for about 10 seconds. You yeah. only saw him yeah. for, even if that 10 he was seconds. Real, he was really not a part of the movie at all. And so the, I, I kind of was worried that it would be this whole, you know, Charles Manson, Charles Manson kind of like a like a feast for all rather than um rather than i i per, just personally i like the way that he went about this whole thing yeah and you know what, what i think is kind of interesting i'm glad um i'm glad that they showed charles manson as minimally as possible just because i feel like what we were talking about earlier in the podcast he is not he's not really the the quintessential definition of those murders it's on the manson family mm -hmm. and when you see what charles manson had done to those kids like the whole the, <laughs> the, the scene with bruce dern was goddamn hilarious where he goes to um spawn ranch and then he encounters uh dakota fanning okay by and the way who like had a, ever expected dakota fanning to have come back in the spotlight with just her fucking ugly ass feet all over the place. I mean, you know, that was totally no another dirty feet scene. But though. he loves dirty feet. I don't. I don't understand it. As as a guy who also has a pseudo foot fetish, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna throw that out there. I don't. He does, I don't understand it, but he definitely loves it. No, I mean, it just honestly, I feel I I love this movie. I mean, anything Quentin Tarantino puts out there, generally, I really have enjoyed. And um, when we walked out of the theater, a lot of people were just fucking confused at what they've seen. They were like, you know what, May I could have done with a like an hour less than what I watched. Or, it is, you know? I will say it is a long movie. There are parts in the movie to where, um, like for instance, when you're watching Brad Pitt drive for like a solid five minutes and it's just him driving throughout LA mm -hmm. and listening to the old broadcast, mm -hmm. only people that really love that time mm -hmm are going to enjoy that. Yeah. Modern people who don't know what the hell that's going on and mm -hmm. don't really enjoy that time mm -hmm. are going to be like, why are we watching this guy drive? I mean, it feels like a Matthew McConaughey car commercial. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right. 
and like you know what I mean like, like you know it was almost like it was like an extended like if each of those scenes in Drive with um with uh, oh my goodness uh, the the movie Drive what is uh, Ryan, oh, Gosling, Ryan Gosling with Ryan Gosling like if each of those those scenes where he was in the car listening to music had been extended by five minutes mm-hmm. there's at least like three or four of those scenes um in this movie cute and baby I, driver which is probably exactly what that movie is exactly what you just you just described i mean this kid just puts on these earphones and he just fucking well yeah baby but, driver wow but, but let's just say that brad pitt's character is not also driving doing crazy stunt driving and well, that kind no. of stuff he's just basically driving from point a well to point in B. modern in modern age when you're driving you're basically driving to get somewhere i don't think anybody really just drives to drive anymore unless you're like in like rural kentucky or something you mm-hmm. know like in California, for where we are now, you are driving to get somewhere, to get from point A from point B. I don't think anybody's really driving as like a leisure experience here to where, you know, not the way that he was doing it. I personally feel if you're going to go see a Quentin Tarantino movie, this is just what you need to expect. Quentin. See, I, I disagree on that. I, I kind of think that this was a Hateful Eight was like a niche movie. I feel and that kind of stuff. Like a lot of people liked it, and a lot of people disliked it. Well, I haven't. I actually haven't seen it. Oh, that's okay. So the, that's the one that I haven't seen. So yeah. So hateful eight. I, I found myself feeling like it was a watered down story version of Django, and it was just like gun violence, gun violence, gun violence. Well, I think that was his and, spaghetti western love love letters. Yeah, but I mean, but I feel like Django could have been that too. You know what I mean? Like like it was a slave revenge story, but it was also a spaghetti western. But it For also had part. so much mm-hmm. great story. I mean, Christoph Waltz in that was just amazing. And then you have him paired with Leonardo DiCaprio's character. That whole scene, the whole scenes with both of them mm-hmm. were my favorite in the movie. Yeah. Because, damn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, those two just played off each other so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that's the one, I feel like that is the one film where he doesn't really go on a tangent. Because when I, when he went, in my mind, in my mind, like being in Quentin Tarantino's mind writing Django, I think he really just wanted revenge on this fucking like terrible period in our history. Yeah, the antebellum period yeah, of slavery. Yeah, I think yeah, he yeah. really wanted just to be like, okay, you know what? Fuck all of you. Mm-hmm. I'm getting my revenge. Black people rule. Fuck you guys. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, which is how many for how many times he says the N word in that? That's pretty hilarious, uh, dude. I mean, that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's a whole other controversy. I, I, he I says that. <laughs> Samuel Jackson's character. But with you know Ooh. that being said. Um, Kill Bill goes on its tangents too. Um, with Death Proof, the whole movie is one long tangent. You know, I love that movie. It's I personally just feel that if you're gonna go watch Quentin Tarantino movie, this is just what you're gonna expect. I think it's true, but I think for people that are going in expecting that it's gonna be about the Manson family and about the Sharon Tate murder and that kind of stuff. Oh, you're going into the wrong movie. Yeah, like that's Absolutely. what I'm saying. And like, yeah. like honestly, even for me, I was very I was kind of confused halfway in because I was like, while I'm enjoying this. I'm also very confused at where it's going because yeah. I don't like they, they only showed spawn ranch for maybe 10 minutes out of the film, mm-hmm. which was a great scene. Probably my favorite scene because the whole, um, the character of pussycat, which was played by, was um, she's kind of a known by, actress. Uh, it was played by Margaret Qualley, I believe. Yeah. I don't, I've never seen, I don't recall well, seeing her. In she anything else. is the daughter. I know of a famous actress. I'm, I think, Andy McDowell, I believe I want to say. That's she her daughter. knows she did really well with like, she was seductive because I could totally see how how Brad Pitt's character was like, whoa, 
Like, yeah. this is kind of like jailbait, kind of like, and I hate to use the term jailbait, but I mean, yeah. in the movie, that's what she's supposed to kind of be. Yeah. You know, she's a younger girl, obviously into him, kind of like, hey, let's go party. Mm-hmm. But she's really, she's nice. Like, she makes you feel, like, welcomed. Yeah. You know, and like, it, I really think they did a great, she personified a lot of the seduction of what the Manson family was. Mm-hmm. The Manson family was, hey, come join us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, there was other people that they decided to throw in the Manson family that I was just like, why in the fuck? Um, who did they have? Uh, Lena Dunham. Fucking Lena Dunham. I do not understand. Okay. This is all we're going to say. All we're going to say is we're not huge fans of Lena Dunham. Um, we have very strong opinions of her character as in terms of morals. We do not agree. Um, we don't, we're not going to get into a heated thing about it right now, but I wish she wouldn't have been in the movie. Yeah. Um, but opposite of that, um, Austin Butler plays Tex. Yeah. Probably, you know, other than the fact that he's a very good looking, handsome man. That is. You know, he just broke up with Vanessa Hudgens. He's single. Hey. But he, (laughs) him. Pitted against Brad Pitt was probably one of the best cinematic moments in history. Yeah. Because when he goes crazy on them, like, and Brad Pitt's character, not, you know, you would think that Tex and them would get their moment. But I feel like you just, like you said earlier, this is Quentin Tarantino telling them to fuck off. Oh, yeah. This is telling him, fuck off, fuck with Charles Manson's whole legacy. Fuck off with what you guys think. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that's what a lot of people kind of carry in their heart. Mm -hmm. It, It sucks. I will say that I'm surprised. 84% 84% or 85% seems right for this movie for me. It was not my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. I am not saying I am yeah. not saying that that is I mean even at even at his worst movie, he's still I feel better than 90% of people out there. What do you feel you is know? his worst movie? Ooh, is damn. it Hateful Eight? Honestly probably Hateful Eight. Yeah. yeah. Like like I would probably if I had to look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Hateful Eight, I'd find myself watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like way more than Hateful mm-hmm. Eight. And that's nothing to say with Hateful Eight, it just wasn't my cup of tea. You know I what mean, if, I, if I'm going to yeah. watch him do a Western, it's going to be Django because I love Christoph Waltz. What about you? What's your what's your most hated? Ugh. Not most hated because we don't hate him, but you know. What no, I mean? um, I don't know that I. I don't know that I have one. Honestly, you have to have one that you you watch the least. Okay, well let let me. Let me see. Because Jackie Brown is, I don't think a lot of people they don't really credit know, yeah. but Jackie Brown is an awesome movie yeah it's yeah. amazing mm-hmm. um my favorite is gonna always be pulp fiction i feel like that's probably my favorite quentin tarantino movie um i think you have to have a really good like sense of focus to be able to follow that movie along you see if i had to pick a favorite my favorite would probably be kill bill and one and two because you know how they're supposed to be like technically one movie so i feel oh, like those together are what- like Yes, that whatever is part, Quentin Tarantino. Whatever part has Oranishi in it, that's my favorite. The part. first one. Yeah. That she finishes the first fuck, chapter. Yeah, yeah. That is the. I feel like that's my favorite one. Um, for least favorite, I, I feel like for you be Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs wouldn't be my least favorite, but it's my least watched. Well, I've only, there, I I've like... only watched Reservoir Dogs maybe maybe twice. For how long it's been out, I feel like this is something. Yeah, I mean, Reservoir Dogs was his first film, 92. And then I feel like after that, um, Pulp Fiction, you know. But 
it's my least my least watched. So I'll, yeah, I'm gonna have to say Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, just because I mean, for that one, there there was a lot of things in there that was I feel like then Tarantino kind of messed around with, but he didn't necessarily like include until yeah. later. Like there was a lot of missing parts. Like that part did not really have a lot of dialogue. Yeah. The way that the, the way that it was edited. And see, Tarantino, a lot of people, I don't think realize this, but he has a lot of control over his movies. He is a control freak. I mean, he's an Aries. He has to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, you know, you have an Aries and a Virgo here. I'm the Virgo. You can probably guess who the Aries is. Um, That's me. <laughs> but I think one thing that I really do love about Quint Quentin Tarantino is that he wants to keep the integrity of his films, which is why he has so much say-so in the films that he's writing. Well... I mean, Quentin has probably like written every single script for the movies that he's created. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so you know, we all know who the producer is. It's the horse in the room. We're not going to talk about it, but I feel and that's why I think I have so much respect for him is because he's a writer director, and I mean, his his level of dialogue has to be some of the coolest. Um, I mean, I don't even know how you what you would call it, but like, just like some like the most like what I call punk. But I wouldn't even call it punk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's just so like in your face kind of dialogue, and it's just so quasi like. This movie's just like the punk rock of movies. Yeah, like like if like yeah like like in punk rock music, what I, I feel like Quentin Tarantino did what punk from movies, what punk rock did for music. If that yeah. makes sense. You know, um, and he's the one that for, that mastered it because there was people before him that definitely did great things and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But he is the one that was like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna take. I'm going to take Kung Fu movies. I'm going to take your Westerns. I'm going to take your dramas. I'm going to take your bank robbery, your heist or whatever. and yeah. kind of mix them up and then just kind of just put in a whole bunch of pop culture because he loves the settings that he, he really each movie is a love letter to a setting of what he loves I, in movies. Yeah. I will say that Quentin Tarantino is a genre all, all on its own. I don't yeah. feel like anybody really comes close to making Quentin Tarantino movies, unlike Quentin Tarantino. I mean, and, you know, he 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 made a name for himself, and you know, I can't wait to see what his tenth movie is going to be about. Yeah, well, there's some say people some people say it's going to be his last. So, you know, we'll as see. somebody whose we'll favorite see. director is Quentin Tarantino, I I hope that's not true. I for me, it'd be either him or David Fincher, or I mean, there's a lot of a lot of Ari Aster you know, Eggers that are coming up right now yeah. that I have to say, I don't know who my favorite director is, but he's definitely, he's someone that made me care about cinema so much more than mm -hmm. I used to. I will say David Fincher is a close second, but always Quentin Tarantino for me. Well, but that's um, just my fascination with the Aries men. <laughs> and with that little cute note, <laughs> um, we will go ahead and end our first podcast. This has been the Outcast broadcast with Scully and The Count. The Count. So I will go ahead and sign off. Say bye, Scully. Goodbye. And thank you for coming. <laughs>